Welcome to episode 92 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. We are eight games into the Toronto Blue Jays 2023 season. Stoughton, I like to start these episodes sometime with a basic vibe check. How do we feel about the 5-3 and three Toronto Blue Jays? Uh, I mean, better than we felt about the 1-3 and three Toronto Blue Jays, I believe. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Uh, you know, we haven't seen Barrios, you know, take his second turn yet, so that's uh, that's about to happen, you know, as we're recording here, or like later tonight. Uh, that's a bit of a scary one, I think, uh, especially with all that comes with it, i.e. <laughs> the, the six years or whatever is left on that contract. Um, but, you know, Bassett looked better last night, Didn't not a great start. Um, Gosman didn't have horrendous luck, Manoa looked like Manoa, uh, the bats have been working all right. Uh, looks like the team is, you know, what we thought it was. Yeah, I think that's my impression too, is that, you know, it's easy to get in a whole, you know, I had people texting me when they came one and three more casual fans being like, this Blue Jays team is trash, you know, they shouldn't have made these moves, which is obviously silly. Just, you know, we've talked about this before, the way the game of baseball is organized, you're going to lose three games in a row at some point. It's just inevitable. But my broad interpretation of what we've seen so far is that like you said, and we'll, we're going to dive into some of the individual players uh, as we go through this episode, but it's sort of what you would think it would be, right? Like, you know, they go to St. Louis. That's a good team. I expect that team to be in the playoffs. You're on the road against a difficult opponent. You know, one and two is sort of what you'd think you'd get. You go to Kansas City, you know, you can't expect to sweep a team, but three and one is probably your best guess at how that series would go. Obviously, over a small sample, there are individual players who have been, you know, different than we thought they would be. Uh, Brandon Belt comes to mind, and we'll uh, certainly we'll, does. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to him a little bit later. But as you think of this team overall, it's like okay, the rotation, barring whatever's happened with Barrios, looks pretty good. The bullpen has had some hiccups, but has broadly been okay. the The lineup is showing a little bit more of the base running, a little bit more of the defense. It kind of feels like the objective of the off season, I'm not going to say has been achieved. Obviously we're eight games into the season, but we talked a lot about the shape of this team is going to change a little bit. And I think we've seen that so far. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's absolutely true. And uh, it, it's, it's remarkable in a way that, that it's sort of presented itself so quickly, you know, you know, like Kevin Kiermaier turning a, 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 a dribbler up the middle into a double and, Watching the defense, or some good defense last night. Eric Swanson getting uh, rockets hit off him, but he's been good, pretty you know as well. Um, uh, and and yeah, the the speed on the the bases, the aggressive base running stuff. Uh, it's all sort of manifested so far, I think, which is uh, which is what they wanted, which is what they 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 paid for, uh, and is what is what they think is necessary to do better than they have in the previous couple of years when that was less of an emphasis. Um, so you know, again, yeah, it's early days, but it's also, I mean, it, like, and like I say, it's, uh, it feels a lot better than it did at at, uh, at one and three, um, you know, and the, you know, you're going to beat up on the Royals a bit, man. You're going to let Trout and Otani do what they do, and then beat up on the rest of the Angels, which uh, so far so good there. Uh, there are absolutely, obviously, tests coming when they have to face. The, I think the Astros are coming up, you know, after the Tigers of the the home opener. Uh, you know, going to see a lot of the Rays, going to see a lot of the Yankees. Uh, Orioles are uh, are a team probably could have done better by themselves in the off season. You know, in, uh, in terms of like adding in free agency to what's what's looking like a scary young core. But uh, but yeah, you can only do what's in front of you, and and and, and it's been 
it's been real good so far. Uh, now with you know the, the the ability to step back and not get uh, out of our minds about three losses in a row. Seeing as the name of the program here is Blue Jays Happy Hour, this time I thought we'd talk about you know the guys who have done the best so far, the most optimism generating players of the Blue Jays, and for me that's got to be Vladdy and Matt Chapman. You know both of these guys have been nothing short of outstanding and they're you know they're both great players they're both gonna have stretches of eight games over the course of a year that look really really good but i think both of them have in their own ways you know done interesting things beyond just being productive you know what i mean like anyone can have eight games where they hit well vladi and chapman have both done things that that interest me and i, I guess i'll start with the question the off there's a more obvious answer to this and i think Maybe a less obvious one as well. It's worth talking about. But who's the most impressive start to you, Vladdy or Chapman? Because they're both, they basically have identical offensive production right now. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're not going to go into the defense on an eight-game span. But who's impressing you more with the bat, Vladdy or Chapman? Uh, well, a great question. I, I got a piece on its way that, that kind of looks into this. And, and so I can, you know, I've looked into some of the numbers. I, I would say it's Vladdy. Um, or, or Vladdy's the one I'm more ex- maybe more excited about because it's sort of the production that we're seeing from him. I haven't checked, you know, since the since uh, last night's game, the first game in Anaheim. Uh, what's changed, and all of this stuff can change so quickly when we're talking about such small samples. But the shape of what Vladdy's doing is closer to you know Vladdy's best self than I think Chapman is. And by, what I mean by that is like if you look at Chapman's like contact numbers, like he, he the, like everything that's in the zone that he's swinging at, he's, he's putting the way like, it's like, uh, Luis Arias kind of esque profile or it was as of one day ago, uh, which is not who he is. And, and, uh, you know, the walks aren't where they would normally be. The strikeouts are lower, which is good because he's just, you know, he's seen the ball so well, he's hitting everything really well. But to me, you know, great as it is and good, good, uh, an omen as it is. And, and, and you know, uh, and what it augurs for uh, going forward. Um, it, it just doesn't feel like it's quite who he is. And I think like his BABIP as of yesterday was like 590, whereas Vlad's was like 360, which is still large. But, you know, I mean, Vladdy's probably not going to strike out uh, only like less than 3% of the time this year. And he has some, you know, I don't think he had, he barely has any soft contact at this point, uh, Chapman as well. But those, like those kind of things for Vlad, for me, are closer to, you know, if you look at his 2021 numbers, like the, the like there's, there's just, there's, it, it's, it's close, it's closer in, uh, you know, in terms of what, you know, what we know that he's capable of doing. So that one kind of excites me because we've seen Vlad's best self and it looks, you know, like an outsized version, version of Vlad's best self. Whereas the Chapman stuff is kind of just looks like a freakish, uh, luck period, perhaps. Uh, though Chapman's obviously really good and was really good, you know, over the last four months of last season, right? Like I think he had a 131 runs created plus over the last four months. Um, this is beyond that, obviously, so far. But uh, but yeah, it just the shape that it's taken for him from him for me uh, is probably less sustainable than you know the the best of Vlad that we're seeing. Yeah, I think broadly speaking, you're right. Especially you, you know, you look at the five walks against two strikeouts for Vlad. You look at the chase rate, and that was a big point of emphasis coming into the season. Like even 2020, when he wasn't especially good, uh, you know, he had that chase rate of 24.6%. 2021, 24.5%, and then it ballooned last year to 30.5, and that played a big role in some of the struggles he had. Again, in the context of being Vladdy, obviously a good season for an MLB baseball player. And then this year so far, it's at 24.6 again. So 
He's really controlling the strike zone in an encouraging way. And like you said, a way we've seen him do it before. This is this is Vladdy. This is just a really, really good version of Vladdy. So I, I think I agree with you broadly. But I do think that Matt Chapman is doing some interesting stuff. Like you mentioned, the strikeout rate is low for him. That's always going to be encouraging because we know he's someone who struggles with a swing and miss. Uh, he has a higher max exit velo this year than he did last year so he's already hit a ball harder this year than he did in all of last season that's something i always take note of he's got nine barrels already so last year in a full year he had 48 and you imagine you know we're about 120th of a full year so far and so uh, i mean he's not again he's not going to carry this pace forward necessarily but when you look at you know the contact quality is outstanding like his expected slugging right now is 788 uh, which is actually higher than his real slugging. So, like, there is some element of luck in his BABIP, arguably, but he could probably be hitting for more power. Uh, you know, some of his, you know, his fly balls could be doubles and things like that as well. So, he is someone who, yeah, this is not what he's going to be. Like, he's not going to be someone who slugs close to 800. He's not going to be someone who walks as infrequently as he's walked so far. Like, it does look like a guy who's just really, really locked in, seeing everything, swinging the bat well. but. I'm still going to take an interest in, you know, is the strikeout rate going to stay low? Is the quality of contact going to be really, really good? And one thing about it that I've taken note of as well is that he's been a really high launch angle guy. Like he hits a lot of fly balls and he hits a fair amount of harmless fly balls, to be honest, is one of the reasons that he's run relatively low batting averages in his career, aside from the strikeouts. And right now he's about half his normal launch angle. So he's hitting a lot of those kind of screaming line drives and fewer of those looping fly balls again it is early uh i'm not confident saying he's totally changed his swing and this is going to be a different thing with him but for vladdy it's safer to say okay vladdy is being vladdy we've heard some quotes on it too like how he's more relaxed how he's being himself with chapman it's more like let's keep tabs on the situation but what he's doing is really impressive yeah no i I think absolutely and and you're right i think the the strikeouts are an indicator that you're going to want to watch uh, because yeah, if they stay low, that that helps that that helps uh, immensely. I think you know, like you say, the BABIPs or the batting averages haven't been so great. That's part of the reason why. Um, and I, I was actually surprised. I looked at it uh, when I was writing this thing yesterday, and was uh, uh, like he was like ninety seventh percentile hard hit rate last year, and like all of those like he strikes the ball very very hard, and, and which he has been doing. So that's not super out of the ordinary. I think maybe that the the uh, the rate at which he's doing it so far uh, is something. I think he got really pull happy in, la- in the second half of last year, in the last four months, where the numbers went up, which is another thing. But he's been using all fields a bit more this year. Um, but hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, he's looking like a guy. And we can talk a little bit about the lineups here. Uh, for instance, seeing Whit Merrifield getting penciled in fifth at any time, regardless of context, is a bit jarring. Uh-huh. But Matt Chapman is looking, you know, kind of like a real cleanup guy. Uh, right now, and that's something that the Blue, you know, they, the Blue Jays lost to Oscar Hernandez, right? So uh, people don't really talk about that much because lineup optimization is maybe not as big a deal as it's made out to be at times. But he is looking like a guy who's filling that role well right now, and it is an important role on this team—a guy who's going to hit behind Vladdy and knock in their big three all all the time. Yeah, I seem to recall they signed somebody who didn't play much in spring training. That perhaps was penciled in for that role perhaps again <laughs> i said it's the show is blue jays happy hour we're going to start a little bit optimistic and so that is not where we're going to begin we will get to, we'll get to brandon um but before we get to brandon let's get to someone who's maybe like 
If Brandon is a full alarm, we'll get to someone who's maybe like a yellow light. That's a mixed metaphor. Chris Bassett has been odd so far. You know, he had his one brutal start, you know, career worst start to begin. And then against the Angels, a start that was good in the sense that the Blue Jays won and he kept runs off the board was not great in the sense that, you know, he walked a lot of guys. I know there was some, there was soft contact as well. He deserves credit for that, but the velocity continues to be down and, you know, all through spring training, again, it's not like I've ever paid attention to Chris Bassett's spring training in the past. So he kind of said, you know, like, this is whatever. I'm a veteran. I know what I'm doing. It doesn't matter. And I was like, all right, I guess you're a veteran. You know what you're doing and it doesn't matter. Um, but the velocity looks like it matters so far. And, you know, he's not, uh, he's not a power pitcher. He's not someone who's blowing guys away with the hard stuff in the zone. At the same time, his velocity in the last couple of years has been sort of respectable and enough to keep guys really honest on all these off-speed pitches he throws. And when he's averaging in the 91s, it is undoubtedly concerning. Yeah, I, I would say that. Though I would also say, you know, and this has not been a historical trend for him, but uh, if you look like month by month over his career, uh, like last April he was maybe a little bit more higher than this, but like the average for the season is higher, but he... Uh, the velocity ticked up as the year went on, which might be deliberate, uh, but you know, uh, who knows when guys say stuff like that at spring training. So yeah, that, that's that's definitely a bit of a concern. Um, whatever's going on with Pitchcom and him and working with new catchers, and that's obviously like something that's going to have to be uh, addressed. And I think will you know inevitably get better as the year goes on, and as, as guys get more comfortable, and he gets more comfortable with the technology or whatever is going on there. Um, but yeah, yellow light sounds fine by me. I think he's, uh, uh, you know, it was a tough start, like I said earlier, but, uh, got, got a lot of guys out in a row after, you know, the, the walk and home run to start the game, uh, on, on uh, Friday night. Yeah. He's an interesting guy with the pitch calm and the pitch clock where, you know, watching these pitch clock games for the first time, and it's, it's been easy to get used to them. It hasn't been particularly intrusive. A lot of the time you don't necessarily notice it that much. But with him, especially early in that game on Friday, like you really felt that clock. You're like, are yeah. they going to settle on a pitch here? Like, is he going to get it off? <laughs> like, obviously, he, the game started the way it did, and he did have that violation that was, you know, more, maybe more technological failure based. But when you're watching with him, there's that sense of dread where it's like, oh man, like, are they going to come to a conclusion here? And I guess if you were watching him as a Mets fan last year, uh, you know, you might have thought, oh man, this is slow. He's really shaking guys off, like whatever. But the pitch clock adds a really new element to that. And I don't think that's a long-term problem. I don't think that's something he's going to fail to adjust to. If anything, it's been remarkable how well most players have adjusted yeah. to this pitch clock. Um, it might be harder for him than it is for a couple other guys just because he has so many options. But it is. Uh, it was a bit interesting to feel the pitch clock for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. And, uh, you know, and, and we've seen it a bit with Manoa. And I think we talked about that, like, or I don't know if we talked about it, but it was discussed uh, after the home opener about, you know, him trying to use pitch clock or pitch calm to call his own pitches. And, you know, just the degree of difficulty sort of compounds, right? And so you add for Bassett that and having to decide on a pitch, then having to execute and maybe having a little bit less velocity than before and that, 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 Makes it uh, that makes it harder, I suspect, to uh, uh, to be at his best, and is something that you know over time as they get more used to these things, it, it, it should iron itself out. I hope so because you know, three years, sixty odd million dollars. 
Yeah, they're counting on him. You know, they're yeah. counting on him to. He was brought in to be a stabilizing force for this rotation. Like they thought, you know, Chris Bassett, we're willing to pay him a good chunk of change, not because he's a superstar, but because we feel confident about what we're going to get. And <laughs> because there's another guy we're paying a lot that we don't necessarily feel confident about. Precisely. And who, who also got paid because they were confident about his consistency level. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's a bit of an unusual situation for the Blue Jays where they have these guys with these, you know, tried and true track records and things have gone off the rails a bit. But I, I don't want to say that. You know, like I said, it was it's a yellow light for Bassett. There's a little bit of concern here. You want to see the velocity come back. Like you mentioned, there is a bit of a history here. Last year, not so much in his whole career, but... Last year, he did have three of his first five starts where he averaged below 92 mile per hour on his fastball, normally like 91.67, so a little bit higher than now. Uh, but he had those three starts, and then none of his starts for the rest of the year were below 92. So there was a bit of a ramp up for him last season. I don't know if that means we can bank on that happening this year, <laughs> right. uh, but it is, it is something to note before you get too alarmed about Chris Bassett. But let's go to the, the guy to maybe be alarmed about right now uh and that is that is brandon bell we were a pretty bullish podcast on brandon bell i can't say i listened to every single blue jays podcast there's not enough time in the day but i would guess that we were you know in the top 10th percentile perhaps of uh being bullish on brandon bell (laughs) great results in 2020 2021 really good projections reasons to believe that his injury problems were perhaps maybe if not behind him then managed and you know one for 21 12 strikeouts it doesn't get a lot worse than that it just doesn't no it's uh yeah it's been ugly uh and you know i haven't been seeing the Jarrett coles of the world either uh <laughs> you know some of the and, you know, that, that's a, i think a huge caveat to any of this stuff especially on the offensive side is that like i don't know uh miles Mikolas not super impressive as a starter and, and you know the royal staff go down the list you know zach Grinky, we all love him but uh not you know not the guy who won the Cy Young 15 years ago or whatever the hell it was um yeah the belt thing you know you hope it's that that he was maybe not truth you know you don't want to be in this situation with the guy I mean it's like look it's a one-year deal uh you know at some point you can cut bait I don't think we're thinking about that yet if like if that's really what it comes down to um but yeah I think you kind of hope that maybe the stated reasons and I and they and they do stuff like this like like even John, like John Schneider said the other day that like they he claimed that Jordan Romano was available to pitch on like the third straight night and then later after he after he clearly wasn't was like yeah I just didn't want to say that so they're 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 and I, the, the reasons are mysterious and I don't know why they do stuff like this but there's definitely an element of uh, of of less than truthfulness uh, about injury stuff uh and you know belt had knee surgery belts a you know a guy in his mid-30s now or lower mid-30s or whatever it is um and he's been bugging him forever i i think it would be completely understandable if they're like okay we're taking it slow because the knee's still not quite up to speed yet you know i don't know how invasive the prestige it was or, or anything like that uh but yeah he kind of was like oh i don't need to do much in spring training and it's because i'm a veteran and all that and then it, it, you you know, it looks like he's uh, a guy who could have used seeing a lot more live live pitches in spring training right now, uh, because he's not this guy. Uh, the, you know, they they do seem to have you know they're, they're exposing a hole in his swing. It seems you know on the the inner part of the plate, um, which 
you know, that is cause for concern when you're talking about an older guy, if he's, you know, he's going to have to cheat to get to stuff or, uh, or if he's just not capable anymore of doing that. But I think it's, it's too early to say, especially given that he didn't do a ton in spring training, um, dumb situation to have gotten themselves into, um, if it's what they say it is, but if it was like they didn't want him out there because his knee was bugging him or is still not completely fully healed or ready to go from the jump after uh, after the offseason surgery, that maybe it makes some sense. But uh, yeah, it hasn't been a great start. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's not you can look into it and there's just no positive you can draw, right? Like it, you know, he hasn't hit the ball hard when he's hit the ball. You know, he's been beaten, you know, he's chased, his plate discipline's been worse, he's been swinging at fewer pitches in the zone and more pitches outside the zone, but, like, at a certain point, you don't really need to drill down when the results are as bad as they are, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think I need to go through with a fine-tooth comb and tell you everything that's bad about what Brandon Belt is doing right now. He's bad right now. That doesn't yeah. mean he's bad <laughs> overall, it doesn't mean that he can't bounce back, people have slumps like this all the time. His, you know, physically, we don't know exactly where he's at. Like you said, is it a matter of timing and just not being there? Or is it a matter of him, you know, still feeling the effects of something? Again, we don't really have the answer to those questions. But in a sense, we don't need the answers to the questions. We just know that right now uh, he is really, really struggling. And I think that at the moment, you, you know, I think this is for any situation you probably really only want to deploy him against right-handed pitchers but you probably want to deploy him against right-handed pitchers and you want to put him further down the lineup and see if he figures it out the thing with him that was always great and i think one of the reasons both of us were really bullish on this move is there's so little downside with him in the sense that if he's just like let's say that he's a pure tanner roark and it's like okay within the first month of the season we figured out that he's a lemon it's not going to happen uh they didn't really need like he was a bit of a luxury player for them. Like they could play both of the catchers more often uh, and have one of them DH. Like you could have Biggio be maybe not the DH, but force someone else in the DH spot and play second or the outfield against certain right-handed pitchers that he matches up well against. You can make sure you know against left-handed pitchers you probably weren't going to play him anyway. There's a lot of things you can do and, you know, give Springer more DH time than you might have thought coming into the season. Give Laddie a couple of days. It's far from disastrous if he is, you know, like if he's a total dud. And again, I just, I don't want to say that. We haven't seen enough. We don't know where he's at physically, but it's not one of those situations where they're counting on him to, like you said, oh yeah, he could be the cleanup man. But if he isn't the cleanup man, that's also sort of fine. And the team will be all right without his contributions. Now, the version of Belt we thought we might get had a chance to really, really, really elevate this team, and that may that may well still happen. But it it's it's pretty hard to believe that at this particular moment as we record. Yes, I I agree. I mean, if we're talking about it again in a week, then it's then it's getting real scary. So there's the, you know it's still just eight games. He hasn't been in all of them, um, but it's also you know I would have expected him to be the cleanup guy and Varsha to hit lower in the lineup, and the fact that you know, right off the hop, they didn't do that. That was a bit of a surprise, I think, to people who kind of expected, you know, the opening day lineup to look a little different. Um, maybe that's just telling of where of where they they think he's at as well, which uh, doesn't feel good. And an endorsement of our show potentially. True. Uh, who who has been good? Who has been good? And 
I yeah, next week when we next record, I think that if Brandon Belt's strikeout rate is over 50% still, uh then this is a a more serious issue. Yeah. That's Edward, a pr- that it's it's Saltalamaki territory almost. Yeah, that's that's my incredibly low bar that I'm setting. So Brandon <laughs> yeah. Belt get that strikeout rate below 50% in the next week uh and we won't have another panic dis- discussion. But the opposite guy, as you mentioned, is Dar- Don Varsho who has been everything you'd imagine him to be and i know you know he's another guy who's got the big babip and the batting average is probably never going to be super super high with him because he strikes out a fair amount but you're getting the defense you're getting the base running you know he's not on a massive level but he's stolen a base he's looked pretty quick out there you're getting some power production from him again not tons of home runs but you know solid power extra base hits he is performing like that complete player who brings the things that the Blue Jays need. And he, before we talked about necessarily, he's not the biggest star you could have gotten for Gabriel Moreno, but he's a guy who sort of fit the Blue Jays perfectly. He's absolutely looked like that player so far. And uh, he's looked like someone, I think, Blue Jays fans at this particular moment, and this may change. I'm sure it will, especially guys who strike out a lot. Sometimes they go through some nasty funks. I'm sure there's going to be one for him coming down the pipe at some point. But right now, he's a guy that Blue Jays fans are pretty happy to have around for a few years here. Yeah, no, it's been a really good first impression for him, I think. Uh, you know, Buck and Dan certainly certainly like him, and, and, why, and why not? Uh, like you say, the defense and the base running have been there, and, and, and when he's doing it with the bat, uh, when he's doing it against the occasional lefty, which is which is a thing, and, and you know, a lot was made of that, and I think uh, his his dad had a really interesting uh, uh, hit on Blair and Barker, where he was just like, yeah, he sucked, you know, and... And talking about getting rid of the leg kick and had some really interesting insights uh, and talking about having him get back to where he was in double A, which, you know, we made a big deal about the platoon splits, uh, even, you know, like looking at his numbers from last year when he really, you know, got some some runway in the big leagues. Uh, but in, uh, and they weren't good against left handers. Uh, they were, in fact, horrific against left handers. But, uh, you know, better in 2021, uh, whereas, you know, the right handed platoon side was uh, was not as good. Um and there are years in his minor league career where he's been, you know, not a guy who you necessarily have to shield from from lefties. So, uh, you know, uh, the Jays seem to uh, to be okay with with you know giving him some run there, uh, which I think is smart, and which you know clearly a guy who is out there, you know, uh, still still a work in progress. And uh, and I think that was part of the appeal of the deal as well is that there could be more in that bat. And uh, and you know, so far so good. Like you say, though, I think you're. I think you're right. Like it could, he could. Have, I don't know if he would have started like Belt, but like, yeah, he could have not had such a good first impression because he's just, you know, he's a guy who is going to strike out, and he is, you know, not going to look like this all the time. Uh, and so it's just nice that people sort of have this in their their memory banks to uh, uh, to help ease them through whatever fears they have when uh, a trough does happen. Yeah, I mean, the order of events in these cases doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter if he had started off terribly and then done well. It kind of it nets out the way it nets out. But in terms of fan sentiment, if he had started yeah. out terribly <laughs> and then you know done well afterwards, sometimes it takes a, guys a long time to get the benefit of the doubt, especially someone who they traded a lot for, to be frank, you know, in yeah. Gabriel Moreno. And yeah, he ha- he hasn't necessarily proven at this point that he's going to elevate to a new level, but... His first at bat, he had the new max exit velocity, and it was a decent amount higher than he'd ever done before. Uh, I believe he's also had his hardest throw on record with the Blue Jays, too. So, again, I don't know if this means that 
he's going to massively grow his game. But at the same time, it's noteworthy that in a relatively short span, he's showing us some stuff that he hasn't necessarily done before. And on the lefties, as you say, it's definitely the right thing to roll him out. You got to find out. It may well be that he can't really hit lefties. Like he hasn't shown that he can so far at the big league level, but it is a very small sample still. And he's someone they consider to be a big part of their future or they wouldn't have traded Moreno for him. So you have to find out, is this a guy who hits lefties or not? And if he doesn't, that's pretty disappointing considering what you gave up for him. And by hit lefties, I mean just kind of survive again. You know, I don't need him as a the Blue Jays. I don't need him to be a cleanup caliber hitter against lefties. But they need to find out if he can survive against them. And so far, so good. And we'll we'll see for the rest of the season. That'll be one of the biggest things to monitor with him. But for now, you really can't complain about anything he's done. No, no, fun to watch too. Which. Uh... You know, it's he's, he's maybe not throwing seeds on guys or whatever, but uh, but you know, it's a different kind of entertainment, and uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of Jays fans are probably pretty happy that he's got, he's going to be around for a few years. Another guy that I think Jays fans are pretty happy with, perhaps even disproportion disproportionately happy about, is Yusei Kikuchi. After one big start, I mean, <laughs> big start is relative. The bar is very low, so Blue Jays fans are hoping to see him look functional out there as the fifth starter <laughs> the team i mean to say they needed a win in game five would be an exaggeration but they were, had gone through those uh three losses in a row and it was kikuchi's job to come in and be the stopper and he did it you know yeah. uh he only struck out a couple guys which you could quibble with i guess but the velocity was really good the pitch mix was interesting he had the third highest changeup rate of his entire career uh and that changeup has been a good pitch from him from a result standpoint it'll be interesting to see if he scales that up at all because when i've been kind of diving into kikuchi i've always sort of been impressed with that pitch and thought there might be more there um he only had 35.3 percent fastballs even though it ticked up on a velocity basis it was last year he threw it around 50 percent of the time so he was doing a little bit of what i would associate with kind of new york yankees ball where they throw really hard fastballs but less than you'd think maybe to increase the effectiveness or uh, use it more as a swing and miss pitch. And I thought he looked pretty good, but the the hard contact was there and the lack of strikeouts was there. So for most pitchers, if I told you, here's a guy who struck out only two hitters in his start and he had an expected ERA of 607, you might not say, <laughs> wow, he turned the corner. <laughs> yeah, I think that's absolutely correct. But also... Yeah, it was encouraging. And, uh, you know, the strikeouts, that's never really been the problem, right? I mean, Yeah, I don't think you're worried going forward that that's an issue. Like, oh, no, no, he no he's going to miss bats. That's not going to be the concern. <laughs> but it's just it's just the holding it together, really, is uh, is the thing, right? Not, you know, not letting uh, a, a hit or an error or whatever, you know, spiral into, into, you know, a prolonged inning of madness, which was sort of the problem last time, uh, last season, right? Yeah, and also just not giving out free passes. You know, he only had one walk in this game. Like, that's pretty infrequent for him last year to only give up one walk in a start. Like, that. Uh, yeah. that's really his big... I know that, you know, hard contact was definitely his issue as well at times, but... <laughs> well, there were, there were several issues, but yeah. Yes, there were several issues. But perhaps the biggest reason why he had so many starts that were, you know, 2.2 innings, 3.2 innings, are just like eating up the bullpen was because he was getting way too deep into counts and he was walking far too many hitters. And 
that again, you know, in spring training, we saw a lot of him being better, you know, especially earlier in spring training than later. There was some wobbles there. Sure. I don't think that it's fair to be like, Kikuchi has turned the corner. This is going to be fantastic. Like I said, if I told you that he had two strikeouts and expected ERA over six, you wouldn't say he's fixed. But at the same time, you know, when the Blue Jays have some concerns with Barrios, you know, minor concerns with Bassett. Uh, you know, even Manoa had, you know, a worse start in his first start than he had in all of 2022. You, uh, the idea that Kikuchi is somewhat trustworthy has to be awfully appealing to this team. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, <laughs> it's another so far so good kind of thing. Um, the walks were up in spring training or the walks were, you know, not, not, he was walking more than one guy per, uh, per appearance. So, uh, and I think that's a concern because his like you know the 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 BABIP was incredibly low, uh, which you know he's capable, perfectly capable of uh, of you know inducing soft contact. I think even though <laughs> he's going to give up his fair share of hard contact, um, but yeah, the walks being down I think is is a really encouraging sign. That also kind of implies that you know he knows where the ball is going, which felt like a real issue last year. Uh, and yeah, I mean. Let's let's see what happens next. Uh, it doesn't feel like an impending disaster in the way that it could with one disastrous start. You know, make everybody go right back to that same old sense of dread. But uh, uh, but for now, yeah, uh, pleased with it. And and you know, we we've talked about this before. I've said it before. But like you know, last year because of the lockout, because he kind of came on board late, didn't really get a chance to 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 really work on, you know, whatever the Jays think that he needed. And, and clearly they had plans for him. They tried to, you know, change the slider cutter mix or, or get him in between the two pitches. And, and, and you know, we, there were, you know, this, this is very long ago now. It seems it's quite quaint, but, you know, there were, you know, talks talk about, you know, Robbie Ray, like, you know, left, lefty guy, good velocity from that side, maybe do a similar thing with Kikuchi to what Ray had done. And, and people sort of forget that Ray came over in the trade in 2020 was was part of the J you know, I think he was free agent and they they signed back but signed back early and really had a full off season and spring to, you know, do the things that the Jays wanted to do, which Kikuchi did not. And, you know, he it, it that's like it's excuse basic making or it feels like it because, you know, yeah, he was here for like an entire six month season and still couldn't figure it out. Uh but maybe there's something to the fact that he was he would be able to, you know, in this off season, um really implement some of the stuff that uh that they wanted and, and and i think that they could you know their approach with their with their pitchers seems to be you know like like let them fail on their own terms and that's kind of the the broader uh developmental philosophy that the team seems to have is like you know we're a resource here we're not you know the, you, you know what's best for your career and sort of you know i think there is a, a sense and i think we've seen that with Barrios and with a with a ton of other guys that yeah, well, you know, we we have ideas about how you can do this best, but we're we're not going to impose them on you. You're going to have to sort of figure out that this is you know that come to us and we'll help you get there. Uh, and so there was maybe a little bit of a process that there with Kikuchi last year, which was probably sidetracked by the fact that they had to you know just panic and be like, can we get him to throw a strike? Um, so you know. I uh, wish casting perhaps uh I'll fully admit that but there there may be there there may have been benefits to him being in the organization having the full spring training having the full off season uh to really you know become more of that guy and I'm not saying here here comes another Robbie Ray season but 
uh things could get better because like like we've always said and like i remember you saying the last time we talked about you know the stuff is there the stuff is really like the, like and the velocity was up as you mentioned you know that kind of velocity from the left side from a starter just doesn't you, you don't see a lot of those guys and uh that that's what makes him so intriguing well, if the plan was to have him fail on his own terms initially, that part succeeded spectacularly. <laughs> that part yes. couldn't have gone better. We'll see. It. We'll see how part two goes. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you said, he, it's going to be very interesting to see where he goes from here. Obviously, that applies to every player. We're working with these tiny samples, especially with starters. One thing I will be watching is that pitch mix because I because I do like the changeup because also. Kind of counterintuitively, last year it seemed like it was his fastball that was most wild at times. Like he really yeah. sprayed that pitch and maybe making it, de-emphasizing it a little bit. It's obviously important because the velocity has and the way it can set up some of the other pitches, especially the changeup. But uh, maybe not leaning on it quite so heavily could uh, could have an effect on his ability to control the ball. We'll see where it goes. The last on-field guy I wanted to get to before we go off-field discourse, which is always fun, uh, is the new guy, Jordan <laughs> Luplo. He's, uh, is he anything, is, is what I put in my notes. Um, and it's funny because when I first sort of thought like, oh, well, we got a transaction here on this program. We like to address transactions. Always a good time. My initial thought was like, and eh, this is, you know, whatever. This player is not one that particularly interests me. But then diving into it a little bit more, prior to the season, you know, I kept saying, I know, that I just felt like they were going to get a different bench piece. Like, the you know, right-handed outfielder just made so much sense for this team. You know, Lucas was a good story, but he didn't really have much utility for them. He was only going to be used very rarely. And I found myself thinking that maybe this is a guy that they wanted. Like, I mean, not that they were particularly waiting for him to be waived, but this is sort of the fit that they were waiting for. Like, he's a guy who has a good good patience in his MLB career, 11.7% walk rate, good power, 218 ISO. You know, he's got a slightly above average WRC plus in his career, just over 100, and that's 124 versus lefties. Both DRS and UZR have him as a positive fender. Outs above average does not. So I don't I don't think it's fair to say he's some defensive ace, but maybe competence would be a fair expectation. I think the arm is good in right field. And he's got a really low career BABIP of two thirty eight, which means at a certain point there's probably some bad luck in that. You know, he's had he hasn't had that much runway in a lot of his stops. So I think that that might have played a role. Zip's projecting him for one seventeen WRC plus from here. So what when I first looked at it, you know, a player I was sort of vaguely familiar with and I was like, okay, whatever, maybe this is one of those cycle in, cycle out guys. The more I looked at him, the more I felt like this guy's actually a pretty good fit for this team. Uh, yeah, I think he I think he is. I mean, I think you could find a better fit uh, for that kind of role. Uh so it wouldn't shock me if he's a cycle in, cycle out kind of guy. But uh but no, I think that I think they'll probably give him a little bit of a run, but it would it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me to see him on waivers uh, relatively soon but but yeah you're absolutely right i mean the uh, yeah like i say the the right field arm i think plays um and it it just it, it just he complements what they have in terms of those left-handed hitting outfielders uh really well and can come into you know can pinch can just be a pinch hitter can be a guy off the bat who's uh who's had some success against that against lefties and, you know you I, I you know i think there's still room for like a real lefty masher in this in this case you know like uh, i think i kept saying a steve pierce type over the winter, there are definitely guys with uh, with wilder pl- platoon splits that you know you would you would love to see somebody like that here. 
Um, but for the time being, yeah, give him a shot. I mean, I think it makes a lot more sense than Lucas. I think it makes a lot more sense than Otto Lopez to have a guy like that on the on the bench here. And and completely agree. There there could be more there in the bat. And uh, there's a there's that the, the ISO sounds good. The the way to runs created plus could be uh, even higher were it not for the Babbitt. Um, yeah, give him a shot. But also, there's a reason he hasn't got a ton of runway. It's because he's not really a great player. But also because he can't face righties. I don't think. Yeah, and and there, yeah, there's like you said, it wouldn't shock me if he is gone at any amount of time. Sure, uh, he could be gone next week. Like I said before, like on previous episodes, like I think that they were kind of maybe waiting for a player like this to shake loose. Is he the perfect version of that player? Perhaps not, but I think he's maybe a better version of that player than you sometimes get. Uh, now yeah. in 2022, he, he did struggle. So that was one of his worst seasons. And I think that that's a big part of why there's skepticism about what he can do now. But like I said, the projection systems really like what he can do. He's got some power. He can hit lefties, man, the state of the blue Jays lineups against lefties. It's just not, it's, it's not good. You know, <laughs> with Merrifield hitting up in the middle of that lineup, uh, they just really don't have like you have to put Espinal in basically where he's someone where I know that he's had success against Southpaws in the past, but he's not someone where I'd like to feel obligated to write him into a lineup. You know what I mean? And Luplo, now you kind of maybe have to have him in the lineup as well. It, it is, uh, and then even then you're you know you're playing uh, Kiermaier, which is not ideal, or you know you probably rather run out of Varsho, like we said before, see yeah. what he can do. It's it's an interesting state of like, let's say the Blue Jays are in a wild card game and the other team is throwing <laughs> out an ace lefty pitcher. Like that's a very real scenario that they like it comes nasty Nestor or something. Yeah. yeah. He, we, the Blue Jays need to win one, <laughs> one game against a left-handed pitcher. I don't feel very good about their ability to do that right now. No. And I think that's why we talked about this, you know, all spring. And I think it's, you know, it's something that will continue to be talked about until the trade deadline because yeah, like, even in the left-handed split since 2020, Merrifield is a below-league average guy. Espinal, really hot start last year, faded, but in particular, I think it was dramatic against lefties. Uh, and those are now, now guys you're relying on. And yeah, I mean, anytime you see Merrifield hitting that high in the lineup, something uh, something needs to change a little bit. And, and, and it, it's a small quibble, but uh, and, and Lupo is like a step towards, you know, a better solution. Um, but yeah, maybe best of all, or the thing I think is best about it is that it's like an, an acknowledgement that like, yeah, we need, we need a guy like this or perhaps someone even better. Yeah. They, it's a situation that simply must be addressed at some point. Now, I think the good news is that this player that they need, this type of player is not prohibitively expensive to find. You know what I mean? You can get someone probably on expiring contract and you don't need to think about, someone who you trade a bunch for this players might even be on the bench of a not very good team could still be very helpful like you said it's not hard to find a better fifth hitter than Merrifield for these type of situations so the bar right now is awfully low the standard is low and that is unfortunate for the Blue Jays it could mean a couple of tough afternoons in the first few months of the season but at the same time at the trade deadline or even before if they want to do like the Trevor Richards Adam Simber trade thing you can potentially find a solution that, if not elite, will be a meaningful upgrade and it won't cost very much. Yeah, I, I, I expect them to continue to explore that. <laughs> 
All right, let's finish here with a little uh, little discourse. Uh, and this is a few days old now, but you know we're meeting once a week here, so we got to circle back sometimes. This was the Alec Manoa Alex Verdugo uh, <laughs> rivalry. I think is worth touching on, and it's just a, it's an odd one because it came it feel it felt like it really came out of nowhere. And I know that I haven't had my finger to the pulse of some things. I've been kicking around a few places lately, but. Verdugo said, I think Alec Manoa goes about things the wrong way, basically in reference to him saying, uh, you know, yelling at Franchi Cordero after striking him out. Verdugo said, that just pisses me off. Uh, it's not the way it should be played. It should be more, it should be like you're celebrating with your team. You're not disrespecting another player, he said. Uh, I think it was Ben Nicholson-Smith who had, in his piece about it, had a great clip of Alex Verdugo seemingly, you know, kind of doing that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, maybe holding himself to a different standard than he did, uh, than he's holding Manoa to here. Manoa's response, Shocking. response, Shocking. absolutely shock. The response was coming from him. I don't give a shit, which is a <laughs> pretty concise response. Uh, kind of sums up what he need to say on that. It just seems, it seems kind of wild to me that we're having this discussion about, you know, fairly young players too. Like this is the sort of thing I thought was, seeping out of the game slowly kind of like fighting in hockey right where like no one said we're done with this uh it just sort of fell away and i thought the you know kind of the old school baseball don't express yourself stuff don't bat flip all that kind of nonsense was sort of slipping away from baseball but this is a little bit reminder that even with relatively young players you can have disputes over these displays of emotion and like could you say that, you know, Manoa shouldn't yell, sit the fuck down to guys after he strikes them out? Is it ideal for the children? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe it's not like the optimal thing to happen. But in the heat of a moment, playing a game where the stakes are this high, where I don't know if you want to calculate how much money Alec Manoa gets for every strikeout that he does. You know, we're talking thousands and thousands of dollars that pitch is worth to him. Uh I just don't think you can, with a straight face, feel like it's a serious problem, especially if you're doing that kind of stuff yourself. Uh, so even like you know the hypocrisy <laughs> yeah. aspect, um, even putting that aside, just taking umbrage with Manoa, who is you know one of the exciting younger players in the game, it just it seems silly and it seems outdated. And I feel like the fact that this conversation is happening will seem pretty absurd, hopefully, in you know fifteen twenty years. Yeah, and, and it's just it's so weird coming right after the World Baseball Classic, where like all you saw was uh, was you know ce- guys celebrating seventh inning strikeouts and like uh, getting into it, uh, like an extremely fun brand of baseball. Obviously, the stakes are way higher than a than a regular season game, um, but like you say, the, the those pitches mean a lot to those players, mean a lot to their teams. The Jays missed the playoffs by a game. That's why people lose their minds about three straight losses in April. Like, uh, yeah, this stuff, this stuff matters, and it's and I, I'm very okay with displays of emotion. Like, it's so strange to to have some, like you say, a young person. Even you know, Verdugo, obviously an idiot. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we don't need to like. There's a whole different podcast go, about him, how much yeah. of a shitty person Alex Verdugo is. Yeah, but somebody tweeted at me last year that he was like playing on his phone in the outfield. That's a complete hearsay. I don't know, but just you know, just a fucking idiot. Uh, so I think Alec Manoa is right to uh, be dismissive there. Um, and yeah, I think you're right that it, it 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 seems antiquated to have to even 
be discussing this. I thought off-field stuff we were going to talk about, why on earth is John Schneider? You're going to put Varsho in the outfield anyway. Why are you, why are you letting Whit Merrifield hit against a right-handed pitcher? That I don't understand. Uh, but yeah, but Ver, yeah, Verdugo Manoa thing, it's, it is, it's a little bizarre to me, except it's not because Verdugo sucks. But, but Manoa is like, Manoa's one of the good guys, right? He's uh, like, does like lots of charitable stuff. He talks about, you know, he's doing that. He's a like, correspondent for MLB Network or whatever. Some one of them shows he's going to check in all the time. Wants to encourage kids to play the game. You know, yeah, he gets fired up. That's part of what. That's part of what he is. Uh, let let him be him. He's great. Yeah, I mean, the good stuff that he does for the game. You know, even you know, I think back to when. There was all this talk about Alejandro Kirk and how he didn't look like a baseball player, and Manoa went to bat for him. And like you said, the work he does with kids and growing the sport. Like, if you think that yeah. him swearing a couple times is going to be more of a negative than all that positive, you're really losing the forest for the trees. And also, you know, I mean, talking old school, new school. Like, I mean, listen to Buck Martinez, who is as old school as they get these days. Listen to him talk about Manoa and just, you know, he like this is. He's a ball player, you know. He's a he's gamer. A, he's a he's yeah. you want him. He's a bulldog. You want him on the mound yeah. for your team. Yeah, I think. But but you could like I don't know, but like Buck knows literally everybody in the sport from like nineteen seventy one onward, and uh, you know, and when you hear his reverence for for a guy that young, uh, that means something, and and especially in the context of like old school versus new school stuff, he's just like he's a, he's a throwback kind of player. So even that, you know, yeah, swear after you strike a guy out. I don't know. It, 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 it's, you know, he, he's not some, you know, I don't want to, you know, don't want to go into all the tropes or anything, but he's not, he's not, the, like, you know, uh, he's not a jerk. I don't know. He's not, he's just, yeah, he's just in the moment. And uh, that's what you want. When the Boston Red Sox come to town, I look forward to seeing all their genteel <laughs> pitchers. Uh, yeah. Chris Sale comes to mind, uh, who will just do things the right way. And they're going to be really <laughs> respectful. And then I can love baseball again, watching guys like that perform instead of the disgusting displays that you see with guys like Alec Manoa. <laughs> Finally, yeah. baseball that's worth watching, the Boston Red Sox pitching staff. <laughs> anyway, I think we will we will leave it there with you guys thanks for tuning in we appreciate any reviews ratings all that kind of nonsense and we'll be back with you next week we're hoping to get on a more regular schedule and hopefully we will be coming to you every friday for the foreseeable future but i don't want to make promises that is the plan though for the time being yeah, my name is hard love. I sit here